0: Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Soler.
1: You know, our purpose is to build a brilliant tomorrow. And that takes a lot of hard work and effort and determination. And while we're working hard, you know, from eight to five or whenever we work in every day, let's, let's have a blast. Let's have fun. Let's enjoy what we do. And let's enjoy working together as a team. This is Suncast. In every battle, there's a front line. On that front line are warriors whose courage and actions shape the outcome of the battle. The world is currently engaged in a literal power struggle, a battle in global energy as
0: it evolves from fossil fuels to
1: renewable energy. Suncast is a conversation with solar warriors on the front lines, building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. We learn their secrets to personal and professional growth, market development, and industry insights. And now, join solar industry veteran, Latin America fanatic, and your host, Nico Johnson.
0: Welcome, welcome to episode 52 of Suncast. I'm your host, Nico Johnson, and I'm so thrilled that you're back with me again this week. I say again? because I'm dying to hear whether or not you've listened already this week to our first Tactical Tuesday. It went live on Tuesday, of course. It's 20 minutes of marketing morsels this week with our friend Solar Fred. Sound off, Suncast. Do you like the new format? What topics do you want to hear more of in there? Or who should be featured? Gosh, I just have so much fun bringing all this to you. And like I said on Tuesday... The reason we're doing Tactical Tuesdays is because I have more stuff than I could release once a week, and I have more conversations that I want to schedule. Today on Suncast, we're going to get to know the CEO and chief innovator at Innovatus Solar, Mr. TJ Kanciucheski. TJ is one of the most high-energy executives I know, and he leads a team of winners, and not only the famous Solar Battle of the Bands winners, but don't take my word for it. Tune in as we discuss the time-honored tradition of taking over the family business, best places to work, and having a fun culture, growing a nationwide presence with staying power, in particular what TJ believes were the keys to their staying power. Speaking of power, we talk about the power of a pivot and how a key decision can change the future of the company detailed, and I mean detailed examples of tactics that TJ has infused into innovators to foster growth and productivity, and so much more. Probably one of the best reading lists yet. This really has been a blast to record, and it is jam-packed with good insight into how to build a thriving company straight from the man who's dedicated the last decade of his life doing it. This episode is brought to you by Buy Our Future, You can go back and listen to episode 25, where I dive deep with my friend Jason Zook about why in the world he's selling everything he's ever made and everything he ever will make. You can check it out at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash buy future, B-U-Y future. You can learn more there. Obviously, you can listen again to episode 25. That will be closing today, folks, today. They extended it to October 13th and it is the last day if you haven't checked out buyer future I encourage you to do that it's also sponsored this week by us suncast solar lead factory and solar edge as i mentioned in the two previous episodes we had our first installment of 3 today on how to prepare for growth in your solar business it was a fantastic webinar and we had a crowd breaking records nearly 800 registrations go to mysuncast.com/webinar forward To learn more about this series and to join us and register for the next webinar which will happen on november 3rd oh and one more thing stick around all the way to the end for a little easter egg learn more about a pseudo sponsor of the show this week because hey everybody loves a good party all right thanks again for taking the time to be here enjoy this week's episode of suncast with tj kanji ceo of innovatus solar I have the pleasure of pronouncing, hopefully correctly, today's guest as I welcome TJ Kaczczewski from Innovative Solar. He's the president and chief executive officer of one of the country's leading solar development companies. More than 325 megawatts of projects, not just utility, but C&I, schools, microgrid, U.S., Caribbean, you name it. Innovatus, driven by their pledge to, quote, build a brilliant tomorrow, which we'll get into with TJ, has developed a world-class team, best place to work in Indiana, led by their, quote, outstanding young business leader, TJ, uh, and 40 Under 40. There's a ton of accolades that you've got, TJ, and I'm really excited to have you on the show today to dig into what has gotten you to where you are.
1: Well, thanks, Nico. It's it's an honor to be on the podcast uh, I, I'm i an avid listener to podcasts, and I try to listen to as much as I can about renewable energy, and uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan, and I think you do a fantastic job, so I'm thrilled to be joining
0: you today. Great, man. The, the feeling is mutual. I've been an, a, a distant observer of the growth of Innovatus and uh, friends with some of your employees as you guys have scaled Uh, but never had a chance really to spend as much time with you. So, you know, one of the things that I admire about leaders of fast-growing or innovative companies in the solar industry is the the background that got them there. And, you know, one of the things notably in your background is that you worked at General Growth Properties, the second largest REIT in the United States. I imagine that helped set the stage because, after all, solar in a lot of ways is a real estate play. But could you kind kind of help me understand... Your first exposure or foray into solar power. When you decided that this was where you wanted to focus the rest of your career.
1: Yeah, and, and it's an interesting question. It makes me think uh, about my grade school days because I did a a solar energy project with my dad, or my dad helped me with it when I was in sixth grade at Christ the King Grade School in South Bend, and that really sort of piqued my interest into solar and renewables. And it wasn't until, you know, later after college where I started working at General Growth and uh, was working on their initial sustainability initiatives that I had a broader understanding of solar energy and also the just just the massive opportunities that were out there. You know, General Growth Properties has buildings that are, you know, a couple million square feet. And they just have you know big mm, empty roofs, yep. so it really you know when I worked at General Growth, that's when I really sort of understood the possibilities that existed for uh, for solar power.
0: Now, at that time, were you looking along with General at the possibility of rolling out solar on the properties, or was that something is was that a part of part of your role there? I know you set up sustainability as a as a group within General Properties, correct?
1: Yeah. Um, You know, I I guess I've always been, I guess, an environmentalist at heart. Uh, Spent a lot of a lot of time as a kid going to, you know, national parks, a lot of hiking. Uh, Was sort of intimately involved in a a conservation club not too far from where I grew up called Isaac Walton. And uh, they actually have a series of parks all across the country called the Isaac Walton League. Mm. And, uh, you know, when I was in high school. For a little while I thought I wanted to be a a park ranger just because I loved being, you know, in the wilderness and uh, really admired all the things that mother nature had to offer us. Uh however, I went to college to study music, I played in a band. Huh. We were traveling around and, and any musician out there knows how hard it is to to make a living and uh you know, I was living in, you know, downtown Chicago and needed to pay the bills, so after college, I landed a job with General Growth Properties, just thinking it was would be something that would, you know, help provide money so I could pay rent and go hang out at the bars. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it quickly turned into something really interesting. You know, I, I, I kind of got involved in the the marketing departments. I worked in asset management and and into a, a group called Strategic Partnerships. And it was there where I kind of stumbled into a group that was starting the sustainability initiatives there. And, uh, you know, this was back in 2005. And at the time, General Growth was just trying to launch a recycling program at all of their malls, um, which okay. is, you know, kind of a low hanging fruit. They're changing light bulbs to compact fluorescence. And my dad had started a company called Innovatus Developments, and he was doing a lot of research on renewables and solar specifically. So he was feeding me that information and I was kind of passing it along to the the group at General Growth. But then, you know, that just started, that planted the seed for me. And it just eventually took on a life of its own.
0: So I don't know if I knew this, that you're, so Innovatus Solar is, uh, in some ways, I know it's a family-born business, but I didn't realize that it's actually your family.
1: Yeah, it is. My um, my dad uh, started Innovatus Development. Um, he, You know, he, my dad was an entrepreneur started you know several different companies and he was always tinkering with uh, different ideas but but he was always interested in renewables I would say more so he was looking at hydrogen and fuel cells uh, versus solar but through the research kind of found that solar energy was was a technology that could adapt to our current infrastructure and it was going to take quite a while for fuel cells and hydrogen to sort of pick up so Huh. I started working for Innovatus Development in 2007, and uh, what I did was I, I I worked on the business plan for a solar focused company, which today is Innovative Solar, and spent about a year on that. But uh, but yeah, my my dad uh, was you know instrumental in getting uh, the company started, and and I had the opportunity once we did get Innovative Solar going of working you know alongside him for a couple years, and unfortunately you know he passed away in uh, may of 2011 Um, but his you know his ideas and legacy and spirit lives on more than ever
0: wow what a fortunate legacy for you as well to carry on carry that torch and to grow a family business into uh you know what is by all accounts a a remarkable company to work for and that's doing great work for uh for its customers you guys have been i mean i'm speaking now of Innovative, innovative solar been a mainstay in the midwest solar industry for a decade at a time when lots of other companies have come and gone what do you attribute to to that presence and that vision uh, from the outset and how you as a leader have grown as the company has grown
1: well there i think there are multiple attributes to our success uh one might just be sheer luck (laughs) Um,
0: and you can never discount luck.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but two, I would say, our ability to to be strategic improvisers, mm-hmm. and that's something I understand from my music days, which I still, I still play a little bit of music here and there. Yeah. And and I and I try to play as much as I can. Music's definitely a, a passion of mine. And uh, when I get opportunities to combine music and solar. At events like the solar battle of the bands it's just uh just the best of both worlds for me personally but uh when i say strategic improvisation what i mean is our, our ability to sort of uh keep the pulse of the industry and what's happening specifically in the united states in terms of solar and always be ready to face the next challenge and sort of roll with the punches you know we uh and a lot of us in the industry re- refer to solar as the the solar coaster. So I, I think uh, in our with our strategic improvisation, we're always ready for wherever the you know the roller coaster is going to take us. And yeah. you know we we have a team that I'd say for the most part is somewhat lean and mean. And while we started with our focus in the Midwest, since we are based in South Bend, Indiana, we knew that when we first started, we weren't going to land many projects in indiana michigan or in the surrounding areas it was going to take a while to sort of educate the general public politicians uh business owners and and anybody else that solar was happening while at the same time we decided to you know start working in areas where the marketplace had already evolved like new jersey for instance new right. jersey had a you know pretty solid srec program so We, you know, we went to work in New Jersey while continuing to educate and sort of planting seeds here in the Midwest.
0: So I was gonna say, this fascinates me as well. I mean, you guys are clearly in flyover country. Folks uh, have to fly into Chicago just for the most part to get to South Bend. I mean, you guys now are getting to the point where uh, folks are flying out to meet you. I'd love, from your perspective, to understand how do you position a company out of, you know, uh, the middle of the country trying to compete in Hyper competitive markets. How did you decide, you know, commercial versus residential or utility? And what about the fabric of your company helped you to to really determine where you were going to have a strategic advantage?
1: Well, when we first put the business plan together, we thought that we were going to uh, be a, a solar product distributor. And uh, at when we were part of Innovatus nice. Development, we had a distribution. Agreement with Unisolar, and as we all know, Unisolar is uh, no longer in existence. But uh, after we started fulfilling some larger orders, and when I say larger, they were you know a couple hundred kilowatts up to five hundred kilowatts, and this is back in you know two thousand eight, and even as a part of Innovatus development, maybe in two thousand seven, uh, there weren't too many companies out there that could provide you know EPC services, so. Uh, when we were selling larger quantities, our customers were asking us who could do the engineering, who could do the installation, who could help maintain the system. And so often, you know, we would try to point them in the direction of other companies. But there are obviously, you know, there weren't too many in the Midwest or even there, you know, there, there were a handful on the East Coast. But we decided that, hey, if we're really going to serve our customers the way that we want to and grow this company the way that we need to. We need to, you know, mm-hmm. basically build a team that can provide engineering, you know, procurement, construction, project management. So we quickly started that in, and, and when we landed our first larger projects, uh, a couple were with Hearts Mountain in uh, New Jersey. Yeah. There was actually one in Ohio with Dayton Power and Light, but uh, we we kind of had to build up build up our team, and uh, you know, just we took one step at a time.
0: Well, I'd like to actually, uh, you know, building on the notion of building a team, I mentioned that you guys are one of the best place, voted best place to work in Indiana. As a CEO, how do you think about growing your team? What kind of people do you look for? How do you instill a culture that makes people want to stick around and not flee to the, to the coasts, right? To Silicon Valley or to New Jersey, New York, uh, where the markets are, in quotes.
1: Well, it is tough. <laughs> and I'll tell you, it has happened at times where, Folks decide to flee to California, and uh, while I completely understand that, what we what we try to do is we try to have a very, I, I would say, fun and exciting workplace, while at the same time we're working hard, and uh, typically working in a construction type environment. You know, when we're building a sixty megawatt project for Detroit Edison, we have to, in some cases sort of follow the the norms of, you know, construction and the way utilities operate. But uh, a couple of things we do here at Innovatus, uh, number one, we start off every morning with a huddle and it's kind of like a, a huddle a sports team might have. And we kind of mm. talk about our plays for the day and, and, and people share their top goal uh, for that particular day. And it typically aligns with uh, our top five goals that the individual groups here at Innovatus have on a weekly basis. Oh, on Tuesdays, we have what we call a Tiger Team Tuesday. And at 8.05, we have a conference call with every person in the company. And it's a open platform to, well, we, we kind of highlight our goals for the week. We typically have some critical items, but we open it up to any item that any you know employee might have. On Fridays, we have think tank sessions. At nine a.m., where we bring in some breakfast food, sort of kick back, relax. Uh, we don't even, we don't always talk about solar. Sometimes we talk about the furthest thing from solar, and we have you know guests join us, um, you know, ranging from U.S. senators to our South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, to the uh, Mike Bray, the basketball coach for the Notre Dame basketball team, and uh, hmm. we just really have a lot of fun, and it helps us build camaraderie. And and we actually, when we invite people in for think tank, we actually, uh, for the most part, will maintain, you know, long term relationships with these other people that have nothing to do with our company. Um, so you know, those are the those are some of the things we do. We we like to have events and fun. Um, last October, we went to the first a Cubs playoff game and we did a rooftop party. We want to make Innovatus a fun place for people to come and work and you know, our purpose is to build a brilliant tomorrow and that takes a lot of hard work and effort and determination. And while we're working hard, you know, from eight to five or whenever we work in every day, let's, let's have a blast. Let's have fun. Let's enjoy what we do and let's enjoy working together as a team. So I, I you know, a lot of times when people come visit us at our office, they say it reminds them of a, you know, Silicon Valley, a type of an atmosphere or company. And, uh, and and we want to stay cutting edge in terms of the way that we work together and the processes that we have in place
0: i love it that's such a fantastic answer and a lot i want to unpack there uh before i go back and unpack some of it let's talk about building a brilliant tomorrow what does that mean for you it's your tagline i know it's an important thing because it actually shows up all as the title of your book i mean this is a corbett way of how you do business can you unpack that a bit for me
1: yeah um my my father used to always say, live the question, promote the solution. And he sh- he shared that message when he first started uh, Innovative Development. And as Innovative Solar started in 2008, he then shortened it to live the solution. And it was a message mm-hmm. that he shared with a lot of people. And, you know, and I'd ask him about what that meant. And he kind of kept it somewhat of a mystery. Uh, as to what exactly it meant. And um about two years ago, I was thinking about just I was actually asking the question as to what my father meant when he said, live the solution. And I kept asking myself, well, what is the solution? What is the solution that we are working for at Innovative Solar? And the thought that came into my mind, and it was almost like I could hear my my father talking to me was that the solution is to build a brilliant tomorrow. And what that, what building a brilliant tomorrow means for us at Innovative Solar is, you know, our purpose is to do whatever we can to help make the world a better place. And Mm. a brilliant tomorrow means a, a smarter, clever, cleaner tomorrow that you know essentially we're leaving the world in in better shape for future generations and so today the way that we're going about that is through solar energy but it's my hope that innovative solar lasts a very very long time and we continue that mission and while you know over the next 20-30 years it might be solar energy uh, combined with some energy storage probably over the next five to ten years combined with the solar but who knows what what the next technologies will be? So as long as we can f- continue to focus on building a brilliant tomorrow, I think that Innovatus will have a very long life.
0: Fantastic, Fantastic. and that's embodied in some of the ways that you're coordinating the, the type of fun yet uh, work-focused atmosphere. You mentioned the morning huddles and focused on daily goals that li- align with and tie to the group goals. To me that sounds a lot like uh, the way kind of agile development companies work, right? Where they have a daily stand up. Is that is it influenced by that at all or is it, where where did you get that idea?
1: Yeah, it's it's this is, this is this will probably sound kind of funny, but um a John D Rockefeller uh who, you know, as we all know, was big into <laughs> sure. the oil business uh, as well as other industries. He he had what um came to be known as the Rockefeller Habits.
0: Uh Yep, Vern Harnish.
1: Yep, yeah, Vern (laughs) Harnish, exactly. So those Rockefeller Habits have have sort of inspired the daily huddles and the meeting rhythms uh, that we have as a company. And I would say those meeting rhythms are also something that kind of go back to my music days. And, you know, it's been really interesting because I found that there are a lot of musicians in the solar industry and several musicians that work here at Innovative Solar. I don't know. There must there's gotta be some scientific uh correlation between solar energy and music. But um but having a meeting rhythm only makes sense, you know? If if you're a band, you wanna be in rhythm, in harmony, and in tune, right? So as a company, we want all those same things. We wanna we wanna be in tune with each other. We wanna know what's happening, what song we're playing, making sure that we're you know, basically uh, marching to the same beat.
0: Yeah, and it's really interesting. I mean, I'll highlight the fact that you guys won uh, Solar Battle of the Bands. Congratulations. Thank you. So you're you're not too shabby as musicians, but the legacy of winning Solar Battle of the Bands itself is a little bit of insight into teamwork, and it gives you a little insight into the nature of a company. I mean, the companies that before you have won Solar Battle of the Bands have been extremely tight-knit teams with very creative, exceptional leaders and teams that were on a fast growth trajectory. Right, like there, there are a number of uh, of other things we probably extrapolate from that. But uh, I love that something like the Rockefeller Habits uh, and I imagine scaling up as well. Vern's other book have been core to the way that you think about growing your team. Why 805 for Tiger Team Tuesdays? Well.
1: It's the beginning of the day and we uh, it, we our work day at Innovatus uh, starts at 8 a.m it, and it can start earlier for folks who might be out in the field uh, performing some of our you know construction tasks but mm-hmm. you know it gives it gives everybody five minutes at least to get settled and then you know we keep the tiger team to 20 minutes so by 825 we're done. And uh, it, it's just a good way to, k- to kind of start the day. You know, if, if we're a football team, it only makes sense that we have a huddle. We talk about the play that we're about to have or, mm. you know, talk about what we need to do uh, to win the game and then and then we make it happen. So so that's a, just a good way to sort of start the day fresh, get everybody on the same page and and then, you know, make it happen.
0: Yeah, TJ, you sound like a methodical person as a leader. So you have to be able to get things in order. I, I, don't, I don't ask a lot, and you're a listener, so you probably know that. But it, I imagine that you're the kind of guy who has a morning routine. Would you mind giving me a little insight into your morning routine and how you prep for you know, a, a pre-8 o'clock uh, go time or game time?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, the, the funny thing is I'm not the greatest morning person. Uh, I sort of have to, you know, kick myself out of bed or at least my wife and now my kids <laughs> that go to school, they, they help, you know, wake me up. I'm, I'm sort of a night owl and my brain really starts functioning well uh, late at night and I start coming up with ideas and I start working on things and sometimes have a hard time going to sleep and therefore a hard time waking up. So mm. typically um, before the 8.05 meetings, you know, I wake up in the morning. And uh, I always try to find some time to sort of uh, to have some silence and sort of reflect on, you know, the day ahead. So I typically try to find, you know, 10, 15 minutes just to some quiet time. And it can be maybe when I'm, you know, driving to the office or it could be at home or in the shower, but but I always make sure, you know, that's definitely a routine of mine to to have some just quiet reflection. And I'm not necessarily meditating or anything, but I'm just sort of I just have some silence so I can listen to my brain think. And, and that's something I always do before, you know, the 805 meetings. And, and I typically go through notes. And the day before, I've had some conversations with team members on some critical items that we need to, to talk about. So I'm usually, you know, somewhat prepped. But, uh, but I would say the, the mental 10 to 15 minute period is something I do every day. That, that sort of helps me prepare for the day. And that's something I would encourage any leader to do or, you know, anybody. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. in this uh, age of technology, we have uh, so many things that keep us uh, so busy. Uh, there's a book I'm reading right now by Thomas Friedman. It's called Thank You for Being Late. <laughs>
0: and,
1: and the concept behind the book, uh, the title, Thank You for Being Late, is he w- had a meeting scheduled. Person didn't show up on time. It was like twenty minutes late, and next thing Thomas knew that he did, he had just had twenty unscheduled minutes where he was able to just sort of relax and think and kind of kick back at this restaurant. And so he was saying, "Thank you for being late," because with our emails, phones, tech, mm. text messages, social media, whatever, you know, we don't we don't spend enough time just thinking or or sitting in silence and and reflecting and kind of listening listening to ourselves.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, TJ. I think that's a profound uh, insight as well. I hadn't heard of this book by Thomas Friedman, so I'll have to check that out. Yeah, we'll check certainly, out. certainly circle back to it. I always have a segment, as you know, about what you're reading, and uh, I just love that you have at the tip of the tongue already, like book recommendations, things, that, things that you draw from. Uh, it tells me a lot about your personality and your leadership style. TJ, do you recall a moment in time when you recognized that you'd found a winning formula? Or you had picked up on something that was working. Can you describe how you began to build upon that?
1: Yeah. You know, when we first started Innovative Solar back in 2008 and we were growing our team, we started developing uh, top five goals uh, for the week. And, you know, I, I sort of found that the number five was a good number because it you know, it wasn't too, too broad, you know, it wasn't like 20 goals. And at the same time, it wasn't, you know, one or two goals. And it seemed like a good number. And, and when we started the top five goals for the week as a company, it seemed like something that really, it really uh, stuck with our employee and our, and our team and it just gravitated and it eventually took on a life of its own. You know, it started with just like a simple concept, but that number five, I don't know, there's some sort of magic behind it. And there's a lot of things that we do at Innovatus now that are kind of based around the number five. So we have our top five weekly goals, which is something, you know, that we've done for nine years now. And uh, it's really helpful to the team members, but, but everybody individually at Innovatus also has top five goals for the year that they need to accomplish. At The same time we have a top five goals that we're trying to achieve as a company for the year. And uh, you know, you mentioned Vern Harnish before. It seemed like you know, Nico, you're familiar with Vern. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I mentioned the Rockefeller habits, that was something else, but we have a one page strategic plan that oh, yeah. we use on it. I guess it's kind of it's got a long term vision on part of it, but it's also focused on the year. But uh, this one page strategic plan has a lot of the number five in it and top five, you know, goals for this year, top five key metrics. And I know it's 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 something that has really stuck within the company. And uh, I'd like to find out what the magic is behind the number five, but it's definitely worked for us.
0: Totally. I love that you bring it back to the OPSP and scaling up. I mean, there's so many helpful tools in that book alone, and um, you're not the first to recommend that book. It's, one, it's probably the top recommended book among uh, leaders of startups that I've met. It's, a, it's an amazing resource. Well, TJ, let's, let's shift the gears here to a game I call Hot or Not, and uh, I name a specific market or topic. You'll just spend 30, 60 seconds. Tell me whether you think it's hot or not and uh, and why and you know i actually first became involved with uh innovatus through my connections with latin america and one of your uh former employees and my friend conrad chase so i'd like to start there and uh and i'm grateful for conrad if he's listening i just wanted to know that he's the reason that tj and i are on the phone right now so uh, i mean pa- conrado conrad, he is him, an animal man conrado. he's doing a great job over at uh at edison now really 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 proud of him uh, and and that's not yeah. to sp- in any way by the by the way, to slight tour uh, from Kite Rocket, who also has helped make this possible. So, uh, but let's let's uh, so let's let's start <laughs> oh, off here good. with you know the Latin America market as a whole, or any specific markets that you might think are hot or hyped. I'd love to know. Do you think that that market is hot or not?
1: I would say Latin America is not hot yeah. for innovative solar. Just, just because uh, there, there's so much happening within the United States. And even over the last year, there are just so many opportunities, especially on the commercial side, that are starting mm-hmm. to happen right in our own backyard. But I would say hot in terms of the global marketplace, because we have spent some time uh, in South America, Central America, and the Caribbean. And there are just so many opportunities that are there. Some of these markets are still in their infancy stages and it can take a lot of time and effort and investment to uh, turn an opportunity into a reality. But long-term, you know, the, the Latin America especially will be a hot market. If, if the United States uh, continues its most recent trend to do things that might hurt our ability to mm-hmm. be competitive on a global scale uh then then latin america becomes even hotter
0: <laughs> absolutely read between the lines and in fact i have uh i have commented as such in in the in the public mediums uh if you will i agree with you in that regard well let's go to the next topic hot or not dg distributed generation energy storage
1: hot hmm. definitely hot hot for innovators hot for everybody the you know I, I was at solar power international actually i guess we're there right now aren't we <laughs> um, but you know at at uh, at SPI energy storage is now become almost it seems like half of the show there are a lot of, i was amazed yeah there's so many manufacturers that are involved um, when you have a company like tesla for instance fulfilling orders for 450,000 model threes that all have lithium ion batteries. I mean, that's taken lithium ion battery production just to the next level. And, um, you know, we, we work with Tesla and right now we're having a hard time getting batteries just because they're focusing so much effort on the model three, which is a sign that the costs for batteries are going to continue to come down. And, uh, Customers we're finding uh, want they really like batteries, and they're really interested in batteries because it it it, it allows them to have energy independence. And we've seen uh, basically in the many different marketplaces, you're having buyers who want to become more and more independent. You know, cable TV today is sort of a sort of a dying trend because. You know, people can watch TV on YouTube or Amazon or Netflix or whatever. Uh, same thing, right. same way you buy music. You know, you don't buy a CD anymore. I mean, you can, but most people just go on to iTunes or whatever and buy one song. Well, yeah. energy is becoming something similar to that. And so batteries are taking that to the next level. So batteries, energy storage, definitely very hot.
0: Well, actually, my next topic ties right well into that. What about the nexus of renewables and the electrification of the automobile industry? Hot or not?
1: Hot. Hmm. De- definitely hot because um, I I drive a Tesla, and you know one of the reasons I actually before that I had a Chevy Volt, and I wanted to go all electric because I wanted to basically understand how someone who drives an electric vehicle thinks and 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 I wanted to watch how the infrastructure is being built around you know electric vehicle charging stations and it's really um, it's been interesting because like for in Michigan for instance most of the uh the Tesla superchargers are located at uh, Meyer supermarkets and Meyer's a, like a midwest kind of like a local Midwest Walmart type big box store and yeah. watching how Meijer is sort of they want those electric vehicle customers to come to their stores. Uh, you know, we then you know have some conversations and realize, okay, well, then Meijer is probably a pretty good solar energy customer. And,
0: yeah.
1: you know, I think we're going to get to a point here where you start to charge electric vehicles through solar energy, or at least have large solar energy carports that can charge cars. So um, if you've got electric vehicles out there and we're producing uh, electricity through solar, that's basically the fuel of the future. So, So I think that Nexus is definitely hot.
0: Fantastic. Well, similarly, there are lots of different software platforms that have sprung up focused on the solar space. Do you feel like this whole idea of software for solar or software for renewables is a hot or hyped market?
1: I would say hyped mm-hmm. at, at the moment. Um, we have been pitched by so many different software providers that like our heads spin. I mean, we get calls every day. People come to our office. We get emails. And while I think that down the road, it will, it, it will be helpful to the industry. I, I at least haven't seen, you know, any specific software that's making, you know, uh, I don't know that that's, I, I would say it's sort of changing the industry or, or at least touches many different companies like Innovative Solar. So, so my answer would be hype, at least for the moment.
0: I think that's insightful as well, right? Because you guys are focused on a totally different sector than, uh, say, that a residential installer that's focused on a small region and wants to own their town, county, state for resi solar, right? Like you talk to someone, that's a counterpoint, talk to someone in energy tool base, and they they definitely don't feel like software for solar is hype uh, because they have grown you know, 200% a year. <laughs> and they basically, every other person I talk to who is designing solar at, uh, at smaller scale, right. Call it under $2 million ticket for projects is using something like a tool base or a helioscope. Um, so I, I appreciate the perspective of someone who's building a 60 megawatt plant for a utility and also building, you know, distributed storage to say, I don't know, maybe it's not such a, a hype, maybe it's a hype m- market.
1: Yeah. You know, energy tool base might be an exception, but I I just think, you know, a couple years down the road, if, for instance, if 60% of the market is using energy Toolbase, you know, everyone's using the same software and what's to say uh, a homeowner can't, you know, buy a cheap uh, energy Toolbase base uh, seat and, and, and start doing the calculations on their own. Um, yeah.
0: What, that's a great question. What's to say? And yeah. yeah who's, I, the, who's the company that's going to create that? I mean, that supposedly is something that a Google project rooftop is supposed to be able to provide, right?
1: Right. Which I, I think that's another example of something that, I don't know, It I, when it first came out, it seemed like it was the talk of the town. But uh, I rarely hear much about, you know, the Google rooftop project anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's novel and also people forget that it's there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's move to the next topic and final for the hot or what I'm renaming, thanks to Pamela, hotter hype here. <laughs> What about the utility relationship with distributed generation? Do you think that's hot or or hotter than hype?
1: Hmm, that's a tough one.
0: <laughs> I would say. Well, let's couch it this way, and I'll say this is hotter hype. What about the notion that the utility is open to integrating distributed generation, and they and they are we're growing closer together versus further apart? Hot or hype? I would say hype because elaborate well
1: it it's interesting at innovatus cuz we're we're sort of in a in a tough spot here because we have many customers who are utilities
0: and we're
1: very don't worry, happy- I, don't,
0: I don't think I have a whole lot of listeners who are at utilities
1: <laughs> <laughs> well I, you know I'm not a not afraid to to share my thoughts here but essentially we're we're very glad that utilities are diversifying their, their portfolio and they're installing solar energy, especially in the Midwest where a lot of the utilities are decommissioning old coal fired power plants and they need the generation. But really one of the only reasons they're doing it is because solar energy is cost competitive. In some of the first conversations we had with utilities 10 years ago, they sort of laughed in our face that solar energy was too expensive, and it wasn't going to be, you know, a feasible technology. And uh, today, you know, a lot of utilities are investing in solar and building their own solar plants. But they're doing so because they kind of want to maintain status quo as being the utility and holding the cart. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that a lot of customers basically want to break away from, you know, the utility Monopoly stranglehold and want to be their own energy providers, and uh, and so I think that it's I guess I'll say hype, just because the utilities many times will say that they're doing solar because they're listening to their customers and they're trying to integrate and and to help or to do better things for the environment. When you know, like when we're we're, we're negotiating with the utility. They're going to beat us down so that they get the best price possible for their rate payers. So, you know, they want to keep the utility models of old uh, moving into the future while business owners and residential homeowners, they want to keep solar kind of for them. They want to do solar and not rely on the utilities.
0: That's a I I completely agree with you. That's a great answer. And I actually um I'll link to it in the show notes, but I was commenting back and forth with Jigger Shaw on a write up by Montana Investment Analysis and seeking Alpha this last week for around the PG PG and E, the utility of the future, and some of their comments around that where they actually highlight uh, some comments from uh from Jigger uh, on the Energy Gang, which if you guys aren't listening to the Energy Gang, you're missing out. It's a fantastic podcast, but I'll just quote it here. Jigger said oh, in, on the Energy yes. Gang back in May, everyone now is calling the CPUC saying, I want to leave my utility, but it's important to note that utilities are fine. California has created some some sort of communistic regime where the utilities are always fine. They're unbundled. Energy efficiency doesn't bother them. Nothing bothers them. They have a sort of protected status and and they're kind of, Calling out PG&E as a different sort of utility, if you will, but across the land, folks that are not PG&E—I mean, this is a this is a, in some ways a call to arms—and a lot of times you're right; they're they're building out solar not to change business models, but to to still build a hedge around a hedge or a fence around their existing business model because there's no way they can really conceptually change it.
1: Yeah, PG&E's—you know—it it is a great example and. A good model for us to show other utilities. Typically, when we're having conversations, I would say they're definitely a, a forward-thinking utility and a, a, ahead of many others when it comes to solar. But I guess I, I sort of agree with Jigger in, in his statement. Um, I, I, I agree yeah. with a lot of things that that Jigger says. You know, he's 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 definitely been a person I've, I've always sort of been enamored by. Uh, within the industry as a lot of people are just because he has so many insights and you know he with son edison and the career that he's had uh, he's had the ability to uh surround himself with some some great minds uh and uh so i tend to agree with jigger most of the time
0: fantastic Uh, and and he uh he often stirs dissension in the ranks across the board. Uh, I, I like Jigger a lot as well, and, and he is a, a guest on the show in our Solar Pioneers series, as he should be. Well, let's move on to the next question that I think is uh, a good one, because I, I believe, as I've mentioned before, you are thinking about this, and especially as you have to position in Fetus, uh, around uh, to look around corners. What do you believe is the next frontier market for us as an industry?
1: Well... I don't know if it's considered a frontier market anymore, but definitely uh, energy storage combined with solar. I I think that's where things are definitely headed. I think most solar energy Mm -hmm. companies like Innovatus, if they're not thinking about energy storage now, um, they're not going to survive, you know, five to 10 years down the road because it's just, I think the two technologies are just going to go hand in hand. And one of the reasons we wanted to, Really get set up as uh, distributors for uh, various uh, battery providers like Tesla, is that the, the same customers who want energy storage are the type of customers who could in, who would want to install solar? You know that that customer mindset is very similar, and um, and a lot of them are now asking us for both, and businesses are asking for both. So so I think the the new frontier is a solar energy installation that has battery storage connected to it and eventually becomes, uh, you know, off the grid. Uh, I know some people might think I'm crazy and thinking that, but uh, I see a time, you know, probably 15, 20 years down the road where an off-grid solar battery installation is pretty common. Uh, Here in Indiana, Mm -hmm. for instance, there was a bill passed – this year, it was called a State Bill 309 that basically changed uh, the way net metering is set up in the state. And it, it's basically, we had, a you know, like basically a one-to-one ratio where utilities had to buy the power back from, you know, folks who might be generating more power than they are consuming. Well, the, right. uh, it was voted in Indiana that, it's now going to, they're going to allow the utilities to determine the rate at which they buy back the power. And there's kind of like a tier uh, where after this year, it's going to start to to fall back. And I've talked to a number of people that um, are, you know, solar advocates. And to them, that's, they said that that was the, the final straw, that they're going to do whatever they can to, you know, I guess, give utilities the middle finger <laughs> and say... Hey, we're going to do solar plus storage. And, you know, I'm even considering doing it on my home and uh, I've got a cabin up in Northern Michigan. You know, I want to do it there. So I, I think off-grid solar is that next frontier.
0: You know, what's amazing about this is that we haven't, you know, we didn't talk ahead of time and plan uh, how you'd answer these questions, but your answer actually directly ties back to the article we just referred, referred to a Jigger because... The whole uh, the whole nexus of the conversation was the idea of grid defection and people who say, you know what, uh, I'm going to build up my own solar power source to the point where I could, if I wanted to, give the utility the middle finger. And so there's this idea around the investment community of who are the utilities that are actually hedging against grid defection that are um, that are setting themselves up, like PG and E, to be a player in a world where. Uh, consumers have choices; they're not just forced to buy one type of energy at one price from uh, from the one uh, utility they've been sort of assigned to, if you will.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. PG and E again. You know, they might be sort of ahead of the times, but I don't. I think there's a lot of Midwestern utilities that think that there'll never be a day where a lot of their customers are going off grid, and and I definitely see that being the case because <laughs> we we talk to folks who who want to do just that, and while it might be a little more complicated to do that today. I think 10 and definitely 15 years down the road, it's going it's going to become pretty common.
0: I I think that you are onto something. TJ <laughs> <laughs> TJ we got a segment as you know called lessons learned and uh, I'd love to sort of get introspective here. If you could start Innovatus again 10 years on, is there anything you'd do differently?
1: Yeah. One thing uh we 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 actually do differently now is, is in the very early days of innovative solar, we were buying and warehousing, uh, solar products. And, um, and some of the manufacturers, you know, 10 years ago, they had take or pay contracts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we kind of learned the hard way that that's not a good model for companies like us because, uh, there can be f- price fluctuations. And some, you know, were pretty drastic, especially solar panels, for instance, you know, in I would say from 2009 to 2013, they probably dropped by at least half in in price. And so at one point we were sitting on a a ton of inventory and we lost a bunch of money because basically we we bought the product at at a very high price and prices dropped and we were having a hard time selling it and eventually had to sell it at quite the loss. So. Typically now we're 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 ordering and shipping to our project sites. We do have, we do have some inventory here on the, for the distribution side of our business, but we're very careful um, in how we do that. Now right now, might be a time where it is good to buy and have a warehouse full of solar panels if you locked in a good price and <laughs> a maximum tariff is imposed. But uh, that's something that we've learned. Um, the other thing I you know that we've learned as well is that it's that hiring you know is is very important and you have to spend a lot of time and making sure that you're hiring the right people. Um, You know, I think there have been a lot of solar energy companies who have scaled up and they've hired lots of people very quickly and uh, might not have had the best, Hmm. I guess, HR policies in place. And, and so, you know, we've, I would say for the most part, we've hired great people at Innovative Solar, but we've had some hires that, you know, weren't so great and they weren't great because those people weren't the right fit for our company culture. Uh And, um, we've learned how to be better at, at interviewing and making sure that we're bringing on people that are a good fit for our company. And so if you make a, the wrong hire, you know, they say that it could potentially cost two to five times that person's annual salary. And, 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 you know, it's, it doesn't do justice to that person to hire them if they aren't the right fit for the company. So we we've kind of learned that the hard way. And and I would also say that um, another lesson we learned is that uh, we, we developed a, a solar racking product a couple years ago, which it's a very good product. It's cost competitive, it's practical, but it's sort of outside of our core business. And I think, uh, we've just k- kind of learned that we always have to be careful in terms of what we take on. So, so kanzo is the rat- racking product I'm talking about. And, and we're coming up with a good plan for kanzo but we're not a manufacturer at heart. And, um, and I would say with solar, there's a lot of shiny objects that any one company can sort of gravitate mm-hmm. to. And this, this may have been a shiny object for us. And um, you know, I kind of learned, I think we learned as a company that, Hey, least in the not too distant future we're manufacturing is not what we do best you know we're project project developers you know product distributors and uh manufacturing is something that we probably shouldn't do because you know that's that's not what that's that isn't what has gotten us here
0: so you brought two things that i wanted to return back to and i really think it, it highlights your skill as a leader uh uh, your humility to admit when you're wrong when you can point out something that's so fresh and new as uh, as your ranking product and say this might not have been the best way to spend our time but you put it out hiring and it's something that I think a lot of startups get wrong unwittingly maybe uh, they're moving fast but you're uh, a podcast junkie as am I and if you've listened if you haven't listened to Masters of Scale with Reid Hoffman I really highly recommend that Actually, Tim Ferriss did a roundup episode that coincidentally I was listening to today where he goes through all the uh, season one episodes and kind of breaks down the 10 sort of uh, the 10 commandments of startups. Uh, and Brian Chesky was the first interview from Airbnb and he talks about hiring and how important hiring is and how he was involved in hiring the first 500 employees directly involved. Wow. The first 500 employees, right, at at Airbnb, that's crazy. at Airbnb, and like you said, you say that's crazy, and he says that's imperative, right? And uh, and so he said the one the one, one way to think about it is, you have to be able to put yourself to say to yourself, am I willing to let this person I'm hiring hire the next hundred people? And if your answer is no, you probably aren't hiring the right person.
1: Wow, that's really good insight. I'm gonna have to. I'm going to have to check out that Tim Ferriss podcast.
0: Well, the Fer- Tim Ferriss one is good, but it was actually, it, this is, he he basically curated 10 lessons from Reed Hoffman's podcast that he put out recently with Stitcher called Masters of Scale. And that is a fantastic podcast.
1: Okay. I'm going to have to check that out for sure. But yeah. I obviously, I completely agree. Yeah. You know, hire, hiring is so important.
0: Yeah. So hire slow, fire fast is what they say. Well, what are some key lessons or takeaways, probably, maybe from your father, perhaps from other mentors in your life or career?
1: You know, uh, many of the, the great lessons I have learned have been ones that are pretty simple.
0: <laughs> they uh, something are. my
1: dad, yeah, something my dad always repeatedly would say to me is when I would ask him questions, he would say, what's the next best thing you can do? Uh, you know, there's many times in my life where I remember I I went to my father with a you know particular challenge that I might have. And he would always ask me that question. He's like, "Well, TJ, what's the next best thing to do?" And I typically had the answer. He just asked me the question, and then that sort of helped me think what the next best thing is. And and at the same time, it's really, I think you always have to focus. At least if you focus on taking one step at a time, just continually take that next step while it's good to kind of look at the big picture and kind of look 10 steps away that's great but if but if sometimes if you're focusing on the next 10 steps you know it, it's overwhelming yeah. so if you can take one step at a time i think that's that's really important so that's you know something i i learned from my dad i would say you know i have a i've got a business coach his name's will ditzler and he always challenges me Uh, to be able to face the brutal facts, as he calls it. And I, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist and I'm a big picture, you know, visionary type of Mm -hmm. a person. And sometimes it can be really hard to face the brutal facts in the moment when I know that, you know, the long-term outcome could be something very different, but, but there's something very humbling about being able to face the brutal facts And it's, it kind of lets you live Mm. in the moment, which I think is, is very important as well. Um, another lesson that I learned that I always try to remember is to, is to be where your feet are.
0: Right. Be present.
1: And, and be present, you know, as a, as a leader at our company, sometimes it can be challenging because there can be a lot of different things happening at one time, but, um. I always, unless I have got like an important meeting or I'm on a phone call, I try to keep you know my my office door open to whoever is going to come in and might have a question. And whenever they come in or wherever, if I'm walking around the office or if somebody needs something, you know, I I just give give myself a mental reminder to be where your feet are. Despite what these other things that are going on, be in the moment, be where my feet are, and listen to the person talking to me be engaged in that conversation it's also something i've used with my family and my kids because you know things can sort of get busy at work or with family and life and you know life is short so let's let's give every moment the best that right. we have and you know something else um we've got this uh kind of end of the year theme at innovative solar which is which is make shit happen mm-hmm. And that kind of comes from the concept that time is our most valuable asset. You know, so many companies are focused on, you know, numbers and dollars and productivity. But at the end of the day, it all relates back to time. You know, time is a limited resource that all of us have. And so the concept of making shit happen is, hey, let's make the most of our time that we have here. You know, every second that we're giving to Innovate a Solar, let's do the best that yeah. we can. And yeah. when we're at home with our families, let's do the best with that time as well. So um, that's something I learned from from Sam Zell, who's, who's kind of a, a real estate guru, pioneer, entrepreneur person. You know, he, he's always focused on how valuable time is. And uh, so that's that's another lesson.
0: I appreciate it, TJ. You are full of one-liners and <laughs> lessons, man. TJ, back to Will Ditzler for a second. Can you give me an example of a brutal fact he helped you face?
1: Well, we had one of our um, quarter quarterly meetings recently with our leadership team. And we were sort of looking at basically our quarterly financials and, and dealing with a, a couple of issues you know that we we were dealing with and you know I kind of said okay well by the end of the year in the next couple months we'll get that taken care of we'll figure it out and you mm-hmm. know that was sort of my big picture vision looking you know to the future and, and and thinking that okay we'll in time we'll get this taken care of when Will was saying well TJ this is an issue right now that needs to be dealt with. And if you don't deal with it now, it's just going to fester and probably have, you know, a negative effect in other ways from now till the end of the year, when you think it might get resolved. So, you know, it might not be the funnest thing to deal with and it might not be, you know, maybe what my, my natural set or instincts gravitate to, but, um, taking care of it and taking it head on and dealing with this fact that is brutal, you know, is, uh, is really important. And I think it's a good, it's also a good life lesson. I think a lot of us, you know, we have issues or things that we sort of put on the back burner and overlook because we don't want to deal with them. And, and I think everybody has brutal facts that they need to deal with. And typically when you deal with those brutal facts, it might be tough, You know in the moment or maybe for a couple days or depending on what it might be a couple weeks but but there's nothing better than dealing with it head on and uh you know continuing along your way so so that's just you know kind of a vague answer to the question but
0: no not vague at all i appreciate it i do have a one follow-on question to that uh digging a little deeper around sort of the the philosophy of how you manage yourself and your business I love that you bring in here advice that you've received from a business coach because it tells me a lot about how you think about growing your company and your and your own personal progress. Why hire a business coach? How long have you been doing that? What's how does that work out for you?
1: Well, uh, let's see, I will became my business coach the end of two thousand thirteen into two thousand fourteen, and one thing I learned from a lot of entrepreneurs and business leaders is that they all, a lot of the successful ones had coaches, you know, Steve Jobs, uh, Bill Gates. Um, they all have, if, if you, if you learn more about them, they all have business coaches yeah. and you know, it only makes sense that, okay, yeah, if I'm going to be a great leader, you know, I need a coach. You know, if, if you think of, uh, people who might want to run a marathon or do a triathlon a lot of times they'll get a a personal coach or a personal trainer and that can help them sort of stay on track and meet their goals and sort of, I, I guess in a way with will, you know, help them face the brutal facts or help coach them. And, and so I think there are a lot of people out there that are too proud to have a coach or think that they might have all the answers. And, um, don't necessarily need to do that, but, but I found it to be one of the most effective things and, and, you know, I've kind of continued with, with that.
0: That is fantastic. I completely agree with you. And it also, uh, you know, it goes back to, like you said, you brought in the coach for Notre Dame, like you're really focused on the notion that, uh, you can grow a business by, by seeing how winning teams perform and all performers, elite performers at all levels across all organizations. They don't do it alone. They do it with a coach. So I love that you have a business coach in your life. You also have a few other uh, virtual business coaches. You mentioned uh, Thomas Friedman and Vern Harnish. uh, We'll certainly be linking to Rockefeller Habits and scaling up. And thank you for being late and hyper sales growth from Jack Daly. But I do have a question more uh, direct to the heart of kind of what you have learned over the years. If you could go back to TJ that's 21 graduating from undergrad still full of piss and vinegar doesn't really know what he wants to do with himself and you could give him one book what would that be
1: hmm there's a lot of books i would i would have given a 21 year old tj
0: but i would Well, sure if it's even if it's yeah. not one what if it's two yeah, or three? No. what 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 education program would you put yourself on
1: yeah i would say there you know there's a there's a book was written by Angela Duckworth called Grit. I would have given myself that book because um, the concept behind the book is to sort of persist with uh, with many different things in life and st- sticking to something and sort of a you know accomplishing that goal is critical to success versus bouncing around to to many different things. Uh, So, so I think I would, I would have given myself that book. I I wouldn't say that I'm disappointed by, you know, the path that I've gone down in life, but there, there definitely have been a number of things that um, I jumped around to before Innovatus that I might've stuck with a little longer. If I had read that book, Mm. there's another book um, called the, the happiness of pursuit by Chris Gillibo. Have you read that one?
0: Chris, Gu- Chris a, yeah I've, I've read it I'm a, he's a friend I Chris a friend.
1: Oh yeah yeah so you know his book I, I I think is is a really good one because uh it talks about by pursuing something and in, in a goal and having a quest helps you achieve happiness in life and if you're doing something yeah. that makes you happy you know you, it's it's going to help in the achievement and and there are a lot of people and like a lot of examples in that book where he talks about like him, for instance, it was his goal to travel to all the countries around the world. Um, yeah. There was a lady that ran the marathon across the Sahara Desert. And and what, it, what what it would have taught a 21-year-old TJ is that, hey, sometimes when you're trying to accomplish something, you're going to hit rough patches and things can get really mm-hmm. tough. And you've got to stick with it. And that is all part of the journey. Um, I've run five marathons in the past. And I actually have a, a document that I have that, are, that lists the goals that I want to achieve in my life. And then I actually have goals that I set for myself for every year. And I sort of track those goals and where I am. But, um, you know, like running a marathon, for instance, There's a lot of training that goes into it. And typically when I run, when I've run a marathon before, like the first half marathon, 13 miles, I feel pretty good. Things are going well. And then, you know, somewhere between like mile 16 and 18, I hit a rough patch and it it can get really tough. And I hit a wall and mentally start asking yourself questions like, oh man, this was a horrible idea. Why am I doing this? Hey, I've already run 18 miles. I could stop now and be pretty happy with the fact that I run 18 miles. It's like, oh, maybe my foot's hurting. Maybe if I keep running, my foot's going to keep hurting and maybe I should stop now. But yeah. you kind of get through those walls. And I think uh, there's a lot of things that we do in life. And like at Innovative Solar, for instance, we've there's been some very uh, tough points for the company. Uh, like when my dad passed away, for instance, You know, he was the president of Innovative Solar and we weren't quite sure what the future held until, you know, we had gotten things figured out after he'd passed away. And, and I became president and I had a, a lot of challenges to face. And yeah, I could have easily said, Hey, this isn't for me. Somebody else can do it. Or, you know, we could have even let mm-hmm. the company, you know, go in a different direction or I don't know, just even not exist anymore. Uh, but, but there's, there's been a lot of struggles and tough things that we've dealt with and in a book like happiness of pursuit would have helped a 21-year-old TJ prepare more for that.
0: Man, I just love the. There's so much in this answer. Uh, you know, what What I will, just to put a pin on it and move on to the next question, I love Chris Guillebeau. Uh, I know him personally. He is an amazing, fantastic author. Many of you who are friends with me know that I've been to his World Domination Summit a number of times in Portland, and it's what got me... Uh, sort of high hog on Portland as probably my favorite city in the United States. Um, but he wrote a book originally called The Art of Nonconformity that uh, careful what you wish for uh, when you read that book because it's going to change how you think about work and life as well the pursuit of the happiness of pursuit. But he also wrote another book that I think is fantastic for a lot of our listeners called The $100 Startup. And it's really this the essentials of thinking about how to start a business on nothing, Right um what what are the tools that you have at your hand that no vc can give you and uh for what it's worth he recently because we love podcasts and it seems like this is the uh doling out of books and podcasts uh, episode uh he has a side hustle podcast uh right now that is killing it on itunes and it is great it's like five to ten minutes every day and it's daily which i can't believe but five to ten minutes every day of just like chris Gillibo goodness on how to build your business so I hope that you guys uh, will fill your ears with, uh, with his thoughts uh, as well as this, uh, and, and we, we're glad that you're here to listen to TJ and I for this now uh, more than an hour of conversation. TJ, as we wrap it up, I always like to ask, as you know, what habit or consistent practice has the greatest impact on your life?
1: I would say the, the consistent practice that has had the greatest impact on my life at least over the last five years was uh, putting down the goals that I wanted, I wanted to achieve in writing and continually uh, review them. Mm. It's, it's actually something I learned from uh, Lou Holtz, who was a football coach at Notre Dame. Um, if anybody wants to check it out, you can go to like YouTube and search like Lou Holtz life goals. And, and I've, I've had the number, opportunity to meet him a number of times and and talk to him about this. But when he was 35, he sort of hit rock bottom and he decided that he was going to write down all of the goals that he wanted to achieve in life, Uh, like winning a national championship for a college football team, uh, having a meeting at the White House, being on the Tonight Show, Um, you know, those are some of them, it it just had a wide range of them, but somehow by putting it down in writing, it made it more real. And Hmm. he kept, you know, continually would look at those goals and sort of align the things that he would do on a daily basis around whether or not they would help him achieve the goals that he wanted to achieve. So, so, you know, I wrote a similar list for myself and, and I've got 75 goals and, and then wow. I, and I break that out onto an annual basis and uh, you know it's it takes a lot of work to continually go back to it and look at it and keep it up to date. but I mean I, I know all those goals in my head and I think about them and and um, it's kind of like writing a business plan. like once you put something down in writing, it sort of takes on a life of its own. And so when you write down those mm-hmm. life goals, you know, I've been surprised as to, you know, how things have happened that sort of correlate to those goals. But I I stay focused on it and I keep at it. And um, even, the, um, you know, on July 1st, I decided that I wanted to, to do something that I call the great 180. And I wanted to challenge myself to see if I could have the best 180 days of my life that I've had so far. And so I've been keeping a daily journal every day of what's happened during those days and what are those good things that have happened. And typically a lot of the great things that happen to me on a daily basis are small things. You know, it can be something with my doing, you know, playing catch with my son or spending some time with family or maybe, you know, things that happen at the office. But, but I found that the greatest things that happen to me on a daily basis are things that in the grand scheme of things are, smaller than maybe these bigger goals. So, so I would say, you know, just sticking with a, a methodology, a rhythm, sticking to it on a daily basis and, you know, try to st- staying on track.
0: That is fantastic. And probably the most thoughtful and thorough answer to this question I've had thus far on the podcast.
1: Oh, great. <laughs> Hopefully it inspires others to maybe do the same.
0: Yeah, I agree. I'm gonna link to a few videos that I find particularly inspiring of Lou Holtz. I was a college student at South Carolina when he came ah. uh, out of, out of retirement, and uh, I mean, he, he's just one of the most inspiring, inspiring people I've ever met. Uh, and I was just just this week serendipity. I was just watching some of his old uh, sort of uh, some of his old speeches, and uh, Lou Lou has some funny and uh, pertinent uh, life lessons. For, the, for this time and age. So I will certainly be linking to some of that. And TJ, thank you for sharing to such depth uh, the cogent ways that writing down your goals have helped I- increase your, your life and your business and, ha- and have been meaningful to you. As we wind down here, TJ, I- I'd love for people to Feel free to be able to reach out to you. How can they find you? Where to? Where are you present on the interwebs? Uh, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, email, website, all the usuals.
1: Yeah, on, on Twitter, my my handle is at tjkan. So, at tjkan. I'm TJ mm-hmm. kanczeski on Facebook. You can find me there. You can find me. You know, okay. TJ kanczeski on LinkedIn. Um, you know, if you've got any questions feel free to email me my email address is tj at innovatus i n o v a t e u s dot com, and um Perfect. always open and willing to talk to to anybody about solar life what what you know whatever it is I, i'm i'm there i'm available
0: yeah i feel that as well how could suncast audience help you as we uh, as we have spent now an hour with you, is there something that we could do that would help further your mission, or some way that we can help? Uh, obviously, well, I'll say go out and buy TJ's book uh, on the heels of this conversation. I feel like that book is uh, is probably inspiring. It's, it just recently came out, and it's on Amazon.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, if uh, if you go out and buy Building a Brilliant Tomorrow, that would be great. It helps uh, support the. The book efforts. Um, shortly here, they'll they'll get an audio book up on that you can get on iTunes or Audible. Uh, at the same time, I would say, you know, if you're a solar energy advocate, just continue to you know support the solar energy industry. Do whatever you can to help have a positive impact on solar, and um, continue to push, you know, customers utilities, and whoever else it is into the future, because there's some right. great things happening at the moment. And I've definitely enjoyed watching the changes that have happened in solar energy over the last 10 years. But but I know the next 10 years are going to be phenomenal. So, you know, keep keep at it, everybody. Keep Keep doing what you're doing and
0: keep fighting the good fight. Well, on that note that the next 10 years are going to be phenomenal, let's end today with a bold prediction. What one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? TJ, what's in your crystal ball?
1: Well, Nico, I, I mentioned it earlier, but but I strongly believe you know, over the next 15 to 20 years that energy storage is going to be a big player combined with solar, and we're going to see lots and lots of off-grid solar. And so I think many homes, businesses and facilities will will be operating off-grid without relying on
0: utilities. Fantastic, well, if and when that happens, we will be here hopefully in 15 to 20 years to talk about it, and TJ, we'll bring you back and point out that you were right. TJ Kaczczewski, <laughs> thank you for being on SunCast. It has been a true pleasure. I have enjoyed it, and I hope you have too. I sure have, thank you so much, Nico. That's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors, and you're now well-armed for battle. Hopefully, You'll take away some great tools for your own success. I'd love it if you'd share what you learned or share the episode over on LinkedIn. Let me know what other tools you need. If you want to sharpen the axe a little bit more, I've shared some of the resources we discussed in today's conversation over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the latest episode link in the title bar. Perhaps the best tool in your arsenal might be subscribing to the mailing list while you're there so that you'll get an email from yours truly when new content is available. Have a suggestion for someone you think should join the conversation? Email me, nico at mysuncast.com, or shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Hey, that's it. Thanks for being here. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned. Okay, one last thing I almost forgot. Thank you guys for sticking through. I can't believe you actually just listened to the outro and you're still waiting to see what this extra three, five minutes is. Well, I've still got TJ on the line, and I almost forgot that one of the things we have in connection is this uh, love for solar pioneers. TJ, you wrote an incredible article about the coming uh, documentary that Jeff Spees has been working on that we mentioned back in episode, I don't know forty something with Jeff Spees. I recommend you guys all us go listen to that if you have no idea what we're talking about. but, could you tell me how you're involved in that because it's pretty cool, and you're a big advocate for this Pioneer Party that we're going to be going to in November.
1: Yeah, you know I met Jeff Spees a number of years ago, and and even uh, some of the solar pioneers that that have been a part of this party and sort of this movement and documentary that Jeff's working on, uh, including Dave Katz. So uh, Jeff told me about the Solar Pioneer Party, the first one a couple of years ago, and recommended that. Uh, myself and a couple others from Innovatus attend. One, even being my brother Tyler, uh, because because Jeff knew that that I, along with others here, we have great appreciation for the people who helped kickstart the solar energy industry. And as solar nerds, you know, we're constantly reading, <laughs> um, you know, how how this U.S. industry got started. And uh, when I first met David Katz. It was just a blast to just like sit there and listen to his stories about how um, solar got started. And there's a guy I know very well, his name's Chuck Parker, that still works in the industry. He worked at Arco Solar back in the 80s, and he tells a story about trying to find David Katz in AEE, who was one of his top customers at the time. And so Chuck was coming from L.A., he had a suit and tie on. Going up to Northern California and kept trying to find this office and couldn't find it because he kept driving past a Quonset hut, which was David Katz's, you know, office. So, um, you know, I it's been a blast to hang out with a lot of the solar pioneers and learn a lot of the stories and ways that you know the the industry started. So, uh, out of that appreciation, I've really stayed involved with the parties and. And most recently, I've been helping uh, Jeff out with the soundtrack for the Solar Pioneer documentary. Um, since uh, a lot of the Solar Pioneers are also Grateful Dead fans, because the Grateful Dead is, yeah, I guess a similar culture to the Solar Pioneers. You know, the Grateful Dead are from the from Northern California and the Bay Area, and that's where a lot of the Solar first happened. I've been able to help kind of connect some of the Grateful Dead activities with the Solar Pioneer Party. So uh, last year at Intersolar, um, Innovatus had a party at Terrapin Crossroads, which is a club owned by Phil Lesh. And Mm. um, Phil Lesh's son, Graham Lesh, is in a band with one of my best friends, Connor, and another very good friend, Elliot Peck.
0: For those who, God forbid, don't know, Phil Lesh is?
1: Yes, Phil Lesh is the bass player uh, from The Grateful (laughs) Dead, who's still very active and doing a lot uh, musically and has a really cool club in the Bay Area called Terrapin Crossroads, which we recently just did a solar installation for him, by the way. Sweet. So anyhow, we had a we had a party at Terrapin Crossroads uh, with, with Graham Lesh and uh, his band Midnight North. And uh, last April, they were actually in town in the South Bend area, and we went into the recording studio and recorded about an hour and a half of instrumental music, which is going to kind of be used in the background of the Solar Pioneer documentary that Jeff's working on. And it's going to be released at the party this year, this this November. And Midnight North is going to come play as well.
0: Fantastic. That is super exciting, TJ. And uh, as I mentioned, you know, in the lead up and also on the episode with Jeff Spees, this is really a once in a lifetime opportunity for many of us who've never had a chance to really meet in person, people like Dave Katz that you mentioned uh, and Chuck Parker. You know, Jeff has dedicated a lot of his uh the last three years of his life to this and this pioneer is the culmination of course the release of the documentary which nobody even knows the name of so far so there's a lot of mystery surrounding what is this hour and 45 minutes uh got and hold for us and i'm sure it's going to be captivating mm-hmm. uh, i look forward to seeing you in person there and enjoying uh aforementioned wine and whiskey and uh and catching up with you and all the other solar pioneers so we kept this little easter egg at the end of the show just so those of you who hold on can hear a little a little bit of the background about something we're excited about you can go to solarpioneerparty.com and register if you don't have the the secret code you'll need then of course you can reach out to me or tj or jeff spies or anyone else who's going and we can tell you how you can register
1: great thanks nico look forward to seeing you there man likewise likewise man